you have your Bible today, turn to the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, it's right at the end of the Gospels, and we're going to be talking from there in one other passage today. But uh, we're in week two of our series called All In, and I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, I didn't bring my Visqueen to church today, because I know you're going to bust something on stage, and it's going to fly into the crowd, okay? Someone caught me after the service last week, and they said, if I know I was going to Gallagher's church, I would have brought... Uh, I would have brought something to cover me, but I apologize if you got hit by flying uh, shards of uh, a vessel last week, all right? So I apologize. I will promise you I'll give you a Band-Aid, okay? But we're in this uh, series called All In, and we're talking about what does it look like when we live an all-in life, and how different does our life look when we stop going halfway and we really just go all in, And I said last week, we live in a world where people go halfway. I mean, some of us work with people, some of us have family members, some of us have friends, and they just kind of live their life halfway. I mean, they're hoping that their name gets in the paper for the obituary, but they're not looking at making history with their life. But God doesn't want us to live that way. And we said three things last week. I want to recap real quick. First of all, if we're going to live all out, we must go all in. So look at your neighbor real quick and say, if we're going to live all out, we must go all in. Say it real quick. That's right. Some of you said that with some good attitude. That's right. You got up in somebody's grill, okay? Number two, we are one decision away from a changed life. We are one decision away. This whole idea about going all in begins when we decide that we're tired of playing it safe, we're tired of holding back. And we step out and we make one decision. And last week we looked at this woman with this alabaster jar and about how she, she crashed this party and walked in in front of all these Pharisees and she lost all of her dignity and she went all in in front of Jesus and she broke it at his feet. I mean, she literally took the best of what she possessed and she broke it at his feet. And guess what? Her life was changed forever. We are all one decision away. The third thing we talked about is this. An all-in life is a beautiful thing. The Bible says when this woman went all-in, that everywhere the gospel is preached, people will talk about what this woman did. I mean, she just didn't live and take up oxygen. She went all-in, and the Bible says she did a beautiful thing to Jesus. It's crazy, because I meet people all the time. They're like, man, I really want to know what my purpose is in life. I really want to know why I'm here. I mean, If Jesus is my Savior and He's my Lord, why don't we just die and go to heaven right now, right? No more taxes, amen? No more school, amen? Students over here, they need to get delivered, okay? Delivered from school. I mean, why don't we just die and just go to heaven, right? The truth is, there's a reason why our lives are still here. God wants us to find a greater purpose for why we're still here and what does it mean for us to live this all-in life. It's kind of like this. I meet people all the time. I really do believe that they want to do something with their life that outlives themselves. They want to do something with their life that literally changes the world. That's why this generation is so cause-oriented. We want to say that we're the ones who cured cancer. We're the ones who who created fresh drinking water so people didn't have to die of diseases in third world countries. We want to say we're the ones that figured out how to get two nations to stop fighting. We all want to do something in our life that has a greater significance and a greater purpose. 
But I want to tell you today, we talk about going all in and we look at the story we're going to look at today. The gospel is the thing in our lives that will cause us and should cause us to go all in. You say, gospel, I hear that a lot. That sounds like a music channel. I turned it on one day. There were some guys with banjos going, okay, I'm not talking about gospel music. I'm not talking about the gospel that maybe you grew up where, you know, maybe it was in a church setting where you learned a verse and, and you said, you know, this is the gospel. It fits in a cute box. I want to talk about what the Bible says about the power of the gospel that could change our lives in such a way that could cause us to go all in. Because I said it last week, I think the world is so tired of candy corn Christianity. People who say they're all in, but then you look at their life and they're like, man, you're not really all in. But how we look at somebody who truly is all in and they mesmerize us. They inspire us. And so today we're going to look at this, and I want you to hear this as we start. We will know our purpose in life. When we know our purpose in life, we have clarity to go all in. When we know our purpose in life, we will have greater clarity to go all in. When we are clear about why we're still here, what am I to do with my next 40 years, next 50 years? We will go all in. Why? Because I believe the gospel is the greatest thing in all the universe. I want to talk about that for a few minutes today. We're going to look at a guy by the name of Paul. Paul was what we know as one of the first modern missionaries. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Paul's life. He was a very religious man. He was religious. He grew up, and he basically went around persecuting Christians. He spent his entire life being so zealous and so religious that when the followers of Christ, after Jesus died and ascended, when they went out and began to, to share the good news about Jesus over all the earth, Paul killed them. I mean, Paul looked at him and said, come over here, I'm going to kill you. I will cut you. I mean, that's the way Paul was. He was ruthless. In fact, many people said that when Stephen, who in the early book of Acts was even being stoned, they believed that Paul was looking on, probably going, I told you. I told you if you go all in, this is what's going to happen to you. But something happened in Paul's life. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 9, he was on his way to a city called Damascus. And Jesus literally knocks him off of his horse. And he encounters Christ and his life is forever changed. Now here's what we know about him. After Paul met Christ, he didn't just go halfway, he went all the way. I mean, he was cray-cray all in. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he was over the edge all in. And the Bible says from Acts chapter 9 until Acts chapter 20, he literally began to dispossess everything he owned. In fact, we know that he was a tent maker. He literally went from city to city, and he, he basically made tents so he could tell other people about Jesus. And he went on all these missionary journeys. He went to all these places. He went to a place called Philippi, Ephesus, and he began to share what Jesus had done for him, how Christ had changed his life. And so he decided, now I'm going to go back to a place where I may get killed for my faith. In fact, let me tell you this. Paul had been beaten. He had been stoned. Not like in an Ozzy Osbourne concert stoned. But, I mean, he had been stoned, literally left on the side of the road for dead. They had walked away and said, pronounce it. I mean, he was done. 
And so he decides, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. And I'm going to take the gospel back to the Jews that I once spent time with and hung out because I want them to understand the gospel is not just for the Jews, but it's for the Gentiles and the Jews. Look at verse 22 of Acts 20. Paul says this. He says, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I mean, that sounds like an all-in moment, right? Verse 23, I know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. And then he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Listen to what he says. He says, I have come to find that there's one thing worth risking everything, and it's the good news of Jesus. It's the grace that Jesus brought us on the cross. It's the one thing that that I want to sell my life out to. And he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. I just want to do this one thing. I just want to go all in. Historians tell us that all the people that were around Paul warned him, don't go back to Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. Don't go back, they're going to kill you. Paul was eventually beheaded for his faith. He was all in. He understood there was something greater to give my life to. And here's why. If you have a pen, write this down. The gospel calls us to go all in. The gospel calls us. He said there was something in his life that was yearning to tell everyone about the one thing that had changed him. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute because I truly believe that if you've been changed by Jesus, you can't shut up about it. I mean, you can't just like, eh, it's just part of what I do. Eh, it's a good Sunday activity. Eh, it beats watching C-SPAN on Sunday mornings. If it's really what has changed your life, it will affect every part of your life. The gospel calls us to go all in. But not only that, the gospel changes us to go all in. I want you to hear this statement. What we give our lives to is evidence of what we truly believe. I mean, it's true. What we give our life to is evidence of what we truly believe. Paul's life was changed by the gospel. When we are changed by the gospel, the gospel changes us. We will go all in with our life. Why? Because we are different. We are not the same person. I mean, if, if you met me before 17 years of age, I am not the same person. And the cool thing is, I'm so mesmerized by what Jesus did in me and through me that I don't even like to talk about what I used to do. I'm a different person. Some of you are that way. I've seen God change your life. I saw Matthew's story on the 4G story. He's a changed life. He's a gospel story. Some of you are just gospel stories walking around here telling the world that the gospel has changed you to go all in. And praise God for that. But what happens is in America, because we are so religious, many times we don't understand what the gospel is. So how can it change us? So I thought about this this week. What the gospel is not. Number one, it's not God's plan to make me rich. So you may go, man, I was hoping I wouldn't be rich. Okay. Really hoping I wouldn't have to decide what I'm going to do with my next paycheck. 
Some of us think, okay, the gospel is God's plan. There's a lot of people that teach and preach. If you follow God, you're going to be rich. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not God is love and we're okay. This idea that some people think that the gospel is that God loves us and just accepts us the way we are, and he just wants to leave us there. At least God accepts me. That is not the gospel. Number three, the gospel is not a how-to-live-right plan. The gospel is not the message that tells us how to live a better life, so make ourselves out to be right with God. That would be self-righteousness. That's not the gospel. Let me tell you what else the gospel is not. It's not Jesus' social justice revolution. You say, well, shouldn't we feed the poor? Shouldn't we care for the hurting? Yes, every single day. But feeding a person and putting clothing on them won't change their heart or change their life. The gospel is what changes their life. I heard a guy say one time, he said, if we're not careful in America, there will be a lot of well-fed, well-dressed people in hell. The gospel is much more than that. The gospel changes us. The gospel means good news. Jesus in in Luke 4.18 said, I have come to proclaim good news. What is that good news? The good news is that God has a story. And he's invited you and I to be a part of that story. And it's called the gospel. Watch this video. The story begins with God, who has always been. He has always existed, and he has always existed exactly as he is now. If it seems confusing, it's because he's beyond what anyone can fully comprehend. In the beginning, God spoke, and everything came into existence. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. By his command, the entire universe was created and filled with a dramatic display of galaxies, stars, and planets, including the earth, on which there was a perfect garden of paradise called Eden. Of all the beauty he created, his masterpiece was a man and a woman. God made Adam and Eve in his image to reflect himself. They were created with the grand purpose of enjoying a relationship with him. By God's design, all of creation was in harmony and was exactly the way it was supposed to be. During this time, there was no pain, suffering, sickness, or death. There was complete love, acceptance, and intimacy between God and man, between Adam and Eve, and throughout creation. But then, something tragic happened. You see... Adam and Eve were far from being equal to God, yet he lovingly placed them in charge of all he had created in Eden. He gave them the freedom to make decisions and govern the earth while only having one rule, not to eat fruit from a specific tree. Now one day, God's enemy, a fallen angel named Satan, wanted to overthrow God, so he took the form of a serpent and lied to Adam and Eve. He deceived them into thinking God was not good enough and did not have their best interest in mind. Now as a result, they knowingly disobeyed God and in rebellion, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, deciding that they, not God, would determine what was right and wrong for their life. The consequences of their actions were devastating. Like a virus, sin entered in all of creation and into the hearts of Adam and Eve. Sin 
Suffering and pain were passed down from generation to generation. All of creation was distorted from its original design. Romans 3.10 says, none is righteous, not one. We have all read or heard the stories of war, poverty, disease, greed, and scandals that plague our world today. Those are all a result of sin. When we think about the perfection and love that existed at the beginning of creation, we realize we're far more flawed and far more sinful than we can dare imagine. Just think of the grudges we've held, the lies we've told, the thoughts we would never dare say aloud. An honest glance into our own hearts reveals the truth. We're all guilty. Everyone has sinned, and the ultimate consequence, even worse than physical death, is eternal separation from a loving God in terrible misery and unhappiness. Because of this sin, God removed Adam and Eve from Eden, but left them with a promise of rescue and hope. He promised them one of their descendants would someday rescue mankind from sin. Over the next centuries, God prepared the way for this person who would become the savior of the world. Exact details of his birth, life, and death were recorded in the Bible many centuries before his coming. In fact, the whole Bible ultimately points to this one person as the focal point of all human history. His purpose in coming is found in Luke 19.10, which says he came to seek and to save what was lost. The promised Savior was God, who became human in the person of Jesus Christ almost 2,000 years ago, fulfilling all the predictions in the Old Testament. Jesus' birth was miraculous since his mother was a virgin. His life was unique. He never sinned. And his death was a sacrifice that rescued us from sin and Satan. He willingly, obediently, and sufficiently died an agonizing death on a cross for the sins of all mankind in the greatest display of mercy and grace the world had ever known. The perfectly innocent died to rescue the hopelessly guilty. He died on a cross that was meant for us to pay for sins we've committed and will commit against God. Galatians 1.4 says, Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God had planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. But the grave could not hold Jesus. Three days later, Jesus emerged from his tomb, fulfilling his earthly mission to defeat sin by dying on the cross and to defeat death by rising from the dead, just as God had promised. But the story doesn't end there. For all those who trust in Jesus alone, God has also promised he will make all things new. The new heaven and new earth will be completely free of sin and selfishness, a place of perfect friendship with God, others, and all creation. No more shattering earthquakes, devastating tsunamis, or violent storms will plague the earth. No more pain, broken hearts, sickness, or death to trouble us. Everything will be restored to the way it was meant to be. The new earth will once again be the perfect home God intended for his creation. God's original purpose will flourish as those who trust in his rescue will enter into the grand purpose of worshiping him by loving him, serving him, and enjoying a relationship with him forever. The most wonderful part of this new world is that we will be with God forever, experiencing complete joy. We will be restored to a perfect relationship with the one who created, loved, and died for us. Revelation 21, 1, 3 through 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away.
Now that we see that God has written and is still writing an amazing story from creation to restoration that we get to play a part in, He created us to enjoy a relationship with Him. Now by joining God in His story, you will find forgiveness, purpose, and satisfaction as you come to know Him. Now all it takes to be rescued from your sin is placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. This means that instead of believing you can rescue yourself from the consequences of sin, you now trust Jesus has rescued you from sin by paying your penalty through his death on the cross. Your allegiance is now to Jesus, the King. Those who place their trust in anything other than Jesus will find themselves forever separated from the loving God who gave his one and only son to set us free from the bondage of sin. This painful separation is called hell. God is inviting you to be a part of his story. He's offering salvation to you today, which is your invitation to be rescued from your sins. You can embrace the rescue of God by simply admitting your need to God, asking Him to help you turn from sin, trusting in Jesus Christ alone to rescue you, asking Him to forgive you of your sin and follow Jesus Christ as the King of your life from this day forward. See, the gospel is not our story, it's God's story. And from the time of creation to the time of now, that story is still being told. The gospel's more than just the forgiveness of my sin. It's the total transformation of my life. You see, the gospel doesn't just call me to go all in. It changes me to go all in. I was thinking about this the other day. It justifies me back in right relationship with God. Look at this statement. Justification means that I'm not just a cleaned up version of my old self. Some of us act as if we're a used tire spiritually. And we're not. The gospel changes us. But I'm completely transformed to live a new life because I am changed by the gospel. I really do believe The gospel is the one thing that changes a person's life. I thought this this week, that people are encouraged by positivity, they're intrigued by spirituality, but can only be transformed by the gospel. I mean, think about it. People love to be encouraged. They want to hear encouraging words. It's like, hey, tell me something to apply to my life so I can go and try to live a better life. And then people love spirituality. I mean, stars talk about it all the time, you know. I have this spiritual dimension to my life, this otherness about my life that I look at my life and I want to believe that that there's something greater than myself. People love spirituality. But I want to tell you, a person can only be transformed by the gospel. Paul was. Paul said he, he believed in it so much he would do everything But see, here's our struggle sometimes. We begin to take the gospel and we invert it. And here's how we invert it. We ask God to follow us instead of us wholeheartedly following him. You say, well, you know, how how does that happen? Well, what happens is you begin to seek after God, but you don't seek him first. You seek him like third, fourth, or fifth. And you kind of seek him halfway and not all in. And if we're not careful, we will invert the gospel 
And it becomes more about us than it does about God. God didn't send us his son so that he could follow us. God sent his son so we could follow him. It's his story. It's his story. You know, many people who say they're following Jesus have really only invited Jesus to follow them. The gospel changes us to go all in. It changes us to go all in. If you have your Bible real quick, turn to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at one last thing Paul said. The gospel calls us to go all in. The gospel changes us to go all in. But thirdly, if you have your pen, write this down. The gospel convinces and compels us to go all in. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And here again, he's just speaking about what's happened to him. He's like filling out the police report about what Jesus had done in his life, right? And so right here he says, for Christ's love compels us. That's a strong word. Underline it in your Bible. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You see, in our church, we do everything by four G's. Gospel, grace, growth, and generosity. Everything we do as a church, we believe that God has called us to do it through those four means. When we talk about the gospel today and the gospel convinces us and the gospel compels us to go all in, it's the idea that we believe that God wants to use us as Christ followers to go build relationships with people who don't know him so that they can come to know him. Why? Because we are Christ's ambassadors. You say, well, I don't understand what an ambassador is. Well, let me take it to 2014. You are repping Jesus. That's what you are. You are repping Jesus to the world. He says, I've given you this ministry of reconciliation, this one thing that can change the world, and then I want you to go rep me to the whole world. Why? Because the gospel convinces and compels us. Let me ask you a question today. Are you convinced by the gospel? Do you really believe it's the one thing that can change a person's life? I do. I do. You know, Paul, when when he was getting ready to go on one of his missionary journeys, one of the places he feared going the most was Rome. Rome had a pagan religion that the emperor Nero made everyone kind of just say, hey, okay, you worship a pagan god because I don't want anything to overthrow this government. And so wherever you went in Rome, it was okay for you to worship a napkin or a camel or whatever it is you decided that you were going to paganize and worship. But if you started speaking the name of Jesus, like you would like freak out the government, right? Nero would have like a heart attack. 
Paul walks into the city of Rome, and in Romans 1, verse 16, he says these words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of the God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Take that, Nero. Smoke you some of that, emperor. Paul said, I think the gospel is so life-changing that I'm willing to stand publicly in front of all the Roman people and say, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's what you call going all in. I want to tell you this story before we close. There was a guy who was a missionary to China. He lived in Shanghai, China. His name was Watchman Nee. You can learn more about him on the the web. I've actually been reading some of his books of late. He was a radical, all-in follower of Jesus. And when you read some of his writings, they just blow you away because here's basically Watchman's story. In 1952, he became so dangerous to communism in China that they imprisoned him for his faith. And as they put him in prison, they basically said, you stay here in this cell And if you keep talking about Jesus, we're going to continue to torture you. And so throughout his time in prison, he would be tortured and bound and all these different things, trying to get him to uh, renounce his religion. But all it did was cause him to go further in. Historians say that guard after guard who watched in his cell suddenly began quitting their jobs at the prison where he worked. And the reason why is Watchman Nee would share with them the gospel and they would give their lives to Christ and they would be so radically changed by the gospel that he would send them out from the jail cell as missionaries. They're quitting their job and he said, I want you to take what I've taught you and go start a church in your house. And so they would leave and the, the, the government found out about it and continued to torture him and basically said, do not do this anymore. Like, We will kill you. And he just continued to do it. For 20 years, from 1952 to the time he died in 1972, they don't know how many thousands of churches were started because Watchman Nee went all in for the gospel. But here's what they do know. When he died, they came to get him out of his bed in his jail cell. They pulled his body out of the jail cell and they lifted up the mattress where he slept every night and they found this card and here's what it said. Christ is the son of God who died for the redemption of sinners and resurrected after three days. This is the greatest truth in the universe. I die because of my belief in Christ. Now that's somebody who's convinced. That's somebody who's all in. I thought about it. How does this relate to us here in South Atlanta? Well, here's how it relates. In Coweta County, there are 153,000 people. 238 churches. In Troop County, there are 77,000 people and 170 churches. That's 230,000 people. You know, from time to time, people say, Sean, man, I, I, would, I would be more generous to the work of our mission if I knew that there was a real need. 
230,000 people. That's the need. I mean, it's never been about a building here at Southcrest. It's never been about the color of the chairs or the color of the carpet, which we don't have. I mean, it doesn't, you know, that's not it for us. But for us, it always has been about this one deal that we believe God has called us to reach South Atlanta one relationship at a time through gospel, grace, growth, and generosity. Let me tell you the greatest need we have. There are 230,000 people who live in Coweta and Troop County. You say, well, man, Sean, they all go to church. Really? Well, we did some investigating on that too. Less than 15,000 people in Troop and Coweta County attend anybody's church. And then you're assuming that if they go to church that they've truly given their life to Christ, right? That means of the 230,000 people who live in Coweta and Troop County, less than 7% attend anybody's church. Oh, Sean, we live in the South, man. Everyone knows about God. Everyone believes in Jesus. Everyone has a faith. Listen, you may have a religion, but until you have embraced the gospel, you will never be changed to live a different life. I know that. How do you know that? I was 17 years old living in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, the buckle belt of the buckle belt of the buckle belt of the buckle belt of the Bible. I mean, we love our buckle belts in Oklahoma, amen? 17 years of age, not one person had ever set me down and had a conversation with me about the gospel. Got a knock on my door one Saturday morning. This intern from this local youth ministry got me out of bed. I'd played football on Friday night. I was exhausted. He got me out of bed on Saturday morning. He said, hey, I want to tell you some good news. He put me in his car, and for the next two hours, he told me about Jesus. About two months later, I gave my life to Christ. The gospel compels and convinces us to go all in. So, what would happen in South Atlanta if every member and attender of every church in our region, not just Southcrest, decided that they were going to pursue one person to invest, to invite, to encourage, to pray for, and to share the gospel with. You say, well, it's easy. I'll just bring him to church. Well, that's great. Bring him to church. We're glad. We're going to talk about Jesus every week. But I want to tell you, you get 365 days a year to tell about him every single day. The question is, are you convinced? Are you truly convinced that the gospel is the one thing that will change a person's life? You see, some of you in this room, here's why you're struggling. Because you've never been changed by the gospel. You thought the gospel was just about Jesus dying for your sins and I don't want to go to hell. I mean, those are two good equations, right? So maybe at some point in your life you walked an aisle or you did it for your grandma or... You know, you made this intellectual decision because God seems rational, therefore I can ration with God. But listen, until the gospel changes you, it will never compel you and convince you. 
I want us to stand to our feet right now with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. As I truly believe, listen, I truly believe God brought you here today. God brought you here today. We had people in the last service for the first time in their life completely embraced the gospel of Jesus. And you know what happened to them? Their life was changed. But listen, you may be here today and you may say, Sean, I have never fully done that. I mean, like, I believe in God. Like, I believe in the Bible. I know that it's real. But you've never fully embraced that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Today, I want to invite you with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you've never given your life to Jesus, would you just right now, right here, just pray this prayer with me? There's nothing magical about this prayer. It just means that you want to give your life completely to Jesus. You want to fully embrace the gospel. Just say, dear God, thank you for bringing me here today. Today, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross and I invite you to come into my life to forgive my sin and to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. Jesus, I completely place my faith and my trust in you as Savior and Lord. Come into my life, Jesus, and save me. Listen, with every head bowed and every eye closed, there are probably many of you over this room today for the first time you embrace the gospel. And for the first time, it has changed your life. If that's you today with our heads bowed and eyes closed, would you just raise your hand up all over this room? Just raise your hand. For the first time, it finally clicked. It finally made sense. It's not about fire insurance. It's not about doing what my grandma wants or what my dad wants or what somebody told me I should do. It's a decision that I make for myself because I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Amen. Just hold your hand up high. Hold it up high. Listen, there's another group of you here today. You know Christ, but now God has ensured that you understand how the gospel can change the world. And now here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray for one person in your life, one person, one relationship at a time, one relationship at a time. What would happen if you would pray for one person in your life that God wants you to share the love of Jesus with, that he wants you to have a gospel relationship with, that you're gonna invite, invest in, love, help them pick up the mess of their life and show them what the gospel is? What would happen? God will turn our region upside down. So here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to think of one person. I want you to think of one relationship that you have. And as soon as you have that person's name in your mind, I want you to slip up your hand. Slip it up. As soon as you know who they are. They may work next to you. They may go to school with you. They may play on your football team. They may, you know, I don't know. But whoever they are, as soon as you know that one person, raise your hand. Now, here's what I want you to do. As soon as you know that one person, I want you to take their initials, their first initial, their last initial. And when you leave here today, I want you to place it somewhere for the next 30 days. You will begin to pray for that person every day. You see, I believe the reason that we don't talk to our friends about God is because we don't talk to God about our friends. 
And when you start praying for the gospel relationships you have in your life, God will bring opportunities for you to share with them over and over and over again. Right now, if you got your hand raised, I want you to pray for that person right now. Lord, please give me the opportunity to share your love with them, to tell them about what you did for them, to tell them that Jesus, you're not mad at them, that you came to bring good news, that you came to set them free. Father in heaven, as we prepare to sing this song, God, it's a confession of our faith that we truly do believe what we say we believe. It is not lip service. It is not something we put on a genre of music. It is true change in our hearts because Jesus, we believe that because you died for the sins of the world, that that changes everything. And so God, I pray that our lives would be called, would be changed, would be conformed, convinced, and compelled, literally shoved out of our comfort zone to share the love of Jesus with somebody. Lord, we thank you. We pray you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want